Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation with Todd Hargrove. Todd is an author, blogger, and manual movement therapist. He completed training programs in the Feldenkrais Method and Rolfing. He used to be an attorney. In today's conversation, we spoke about Todd's background as a rolfer, Feldenkrais practitioner, blogger, and now podcaster. We discussed pain science, what rolfing is to him, how he got into this field, and more. You can find more about Todd at toddhargrove.substack.com. His books are linked in our post, and truly, I can't recommend them enough. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Todd. How are you? Pretty good. There's Nikki here, too. Hi, Nikki. Hi. I remember before I even thought about becoming a rolfer, getting reading your blog, first of all, which was so helpful. It was so wonderful. I was living in Thailand, partly. Yeah, I was living in Thailand, and a friend turned on to me, and it was just opening doors in my mind. And then get and then following uh, your you had these actually these Feldenkrais exercises that were sort of your modification that, that I I haven't used in a while but I would actually refer clients to download from you so maybe like twenty dollars you've earned from me uh, over the, this time but I would I would tell people to go like buy it or download it I found it so helpful it was such it was a slightly in my view a slightly different approach to Feldenkrais that had. A little, uh, a little something else. Hard to explain, and, and I enjoyed it. A little less. Um, it felt like you, it was you doing it versus just reading a script of, which is what a lot of photographs is, is just kind of reading the script. Uh, and then later, your books. Uh, and in fact, in my Rolf basic training, your first book was recommended uh, for us to read, and a lot of people did did read it. Yeah, Adam can. Adam Mental was one of the who would uh, recommend it, and I'd read it before. Um, and on the, and it was just, it's a great book. Um, so thank you. I think a little bit of like, what is, yeah, yeah. Thank you. What is, what sort of was your trajectory to get to there? Um, well, the trajectory is kind of a long one. I, I mean, I started out, uh, before, before going to school to be a rolfer, that was, uh, 2005. I was a lawyer from 1995 to 2005. And uh, as I was doing that, I was, you know, kind of living not the best life in terms of movement and posture. I was kind of sitting in a, in a chair in an office, pretty, you know, stressful and kind of like physically stressful. And I wasn't super comfortable. And and I developed a decent amount of back pain enough so that I was super motivated to, to try to um, figure out what was going wrong and make it better. That got me interested in kind of stuff like uh, yoga and functional training. I mean, I started reading online uh, about, you know, you know, how you can, how you can move better to feel better, basically, or like posture yourself better. So I was just trying to find what was available. Uh, Also, at the same time, I was uh, competing in racket sports and, and wanting to get better at like squash. And a lot of what I was reading about pain kind of incorporated perspectives from, um, PTs that work with athletes or athletic coaches that were reading about physical therapy. And what they had in common was that 
you know, the way you move affects the way you feel. And there's these qualities of good movement, which are kind of like hard to measure. Uh, you know, you can't just say how much do you bench and how far can you reach or, or how far can you run to assess how good of a mover are you and how safe of a mover are you? And the message was there's kind of like these qualities of coordination and good movement, and they can make you, you know, play better and, and feel better in your body. And so that kind of sent me in the direction of Feldenkrais and Rolfing and these different traditional practices that had something in common, which was, you know, again, like the way you move is connected the way you feel and even the way you think and kind of like deep parts of yourself. And I found the whole thing so interesting that it just kind of got me going uh, and geeking out about this stuff. And I felt a lot better uh, that I was like, you know, I'm, I want to help other people. I want to continue to study this stuff. So I was off to school uh, to be a rolfer in 2005, did a Feldenkrais training after that. Then it just kind of went from there. Yeah, pretty awesome. I have uh sort of follow a similar path and at one point planned to to go down Feldenkrais and have gone more down to Ralph movement but I think it's sort of to some way it's, it's just different ways of how can you help people move better what sort of started you on the, the blog the blog was the first sort of writing for you or was there something before the blog was basically you know I'm, I'm seeing clients clients are coming in uh, there's things that I want to tell them things that I want them to understand that I think will be helpful for them. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of seeing the same thing with my friends and the blog originally was just me kind of writing down kind of stuff that I was finding myself repeating to people a lot that I thought that they would find helpful and just kind of writing it out, something that I could give to them instead of just like repeating myself all the time. And, you know, some of this stuff is kind of hard to understand, you know, kind of common theme of it was, uh, kind of the nervous system has more control over the way, uh, over your strength, over your flexibility, over pain, over the feeling of stiffness than you might imagine. Now, that was kind of the basic theme. And I just kind of wanted people to know that. And I was kind of handed it out to clients, handed it out to um, uh, friends. And then, then I started posting a little bit of it online and people were sharing it a little bit. And so I uh, started to work harder on the writing to kind of communicate this idea. A lot of the ideas were were out there in forums, like on the Soma Simple Forum. I don't know if you know the Soma Simple Forum. It, it was kind of uh, in the mid-2000s, late-2000s. This was a community of physical therapists that kind of wanted to change the way that physical therapy was done, which was very kind of biased in uh, this idea that you know, we're working with the body, we're working with structure, we're working with all these biomechanics. They wanted to turn people's attention to the nervous system, how the nervous system perceived the body, uh, kind of stuff like that. So there's a similar, you can see similar transformations happening in the Rolfing community. You know, there's kind of the old school idea that we're working with the physical tissues and deforming them into different shapes. And there's kind of this new idea you know, by Robert Schleip and others that, no, this is, this is a much more, this is, you know, the target of the intervention is more the nervous system. This is more about like information than deformation. And so that, that, that was going on in the Rolfing community a little bit, going on in the physical therapy community a little bit. I was writing about it and uh, people were paying attention. So I wrote more. And that basically led into the book, I'm guessing. 
Yeah. And then the book was basically kind of like greatest hits from the blog. You know, the blog's a bunch of disconnected articles. Uh, I kind of could see that there's like a common theme here. And again, that's like this neurocentric perception uh, perspective on coordination, on movement, on why therapies help, on, on how we reduce pain. Um, and I just uh, just used that as like an organizing principle to make a book. And the book had some Feldenkrais exercises. It had basically a bunch of explanations of why you feel better and move better after a massage, after doing a stretch, after going for a run. And again, the, the you know the, the common traditional idea is something changed you know in the in the local tissues, in the peripheral tissues, in the structure of the body. And my argument is maybe a little bit, but also in the nervous system and like, you know, let's figure out what that is. So I have two questions to that. So you're saying the, the, the um, blog birthed itself out of just trying to not to be redundant and to be able to share and inform your clients. And I, um, so there's always like kind of, there's um, our clientele can kind of look very differently. And I'm curious did your clients find it useful? I mean, because I think a lot of kind of the success of our work is what do clients do outside of the treatment room and how invested are they in their own process of change? Or a lot of the times people, it's like outside of the treatment room, they're not invested and they kind of just want to be touched in the rolfer or the practitioner to do the work. Yeah. So. I'm interested on what the outcome was with that. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause like, you know, want, you know, the need to kind of like let your clients know kind of what this is about from my perspective. So a lot of the clients come in with the perspective that, uh, you know, they've got like an alignment problem, almost like the way like a car or a machine would have an alignment pro problem. And I'm like a mechanic and they just kind of lay there passively and get fixed. And the idea is that that's going to probably involve a lot of pain, a lot of high pressure, but we have to, you know, turn the body into a different shape and the clients will just say, Hey, don't, don't worry about the way I feel. You just do what I have, what you have to do. And my message is no, the way you feel is really important. That's almost like the most, that's very important to me, like how you're feeling, because that's, what's going to having the right feelings and having the right kinds of subtle communications, that's what's going to create the positive change. And also sending the message that what you do away from the table is important. All those things are important for me, for the, for the client to understand. So I'm trying to kind of explain that to them. And one of the, one of the things that I'm trying to explain is to get past this idea that, yeah, they're just passive receivers and I'm fixing them. Uh, and also that this should really hurt. <laughs> yeah so then from your insight what what are we doing what what are we doing to the tissue why if it's the nervous system and creating a safe container why are we touching yeah i think to me kind of like like bottom line uh one of the things that i'm i think of that i'm like you know what am i trying to do here i feel like i'm trying to send uh, good news to the nervous system, like good news to the nervous system, like let it know about movement capabilities that it didn't have. Let it know that there's someone there 
caring for you, let it know that a certain range of motion uh, that it didn't know was available is available. Let it know that certain tissues can accept a certain amount of pressure without there being a problem. Um, all these kind of subtle messages like that. Um, so, so I'd like th this phrase again, that another one phrase that I kind of remind myself of, I'm trying to provide information. This is about information, not deformation. But it, it's something I remind myself of frequently because you look at like a shoulder, it looks like this undifferentiated blob of clay. You know, it's, it's just like this, this, this piece of meat. And so I, you know, there's a part of me that's kind of like, well, I need to uh, lengthen this in that direction or melt that in that direction. It's kind of like the way you'd work with clay or, or like butter or something like that. There's these kind of physical structural analogies. And that's kind of like your old school Rolfing ideas that you're, you're melting things and there's thixotropy is the explanation for why things change. And it points you in the direction of using a lot of pressure and maybe causing pain or something like that. So I just kind of remind myself, you know, right underneath the hood, right underneath the skin, there's like a million nerve endings and they're incredibly sensitive and they're incredibly intelligent and they're always listening carefully to what's going on and they're processing information and they're deciding how much blood flows are going to be here, how much immune system activity, how much muscle tension. And those are the things that, that, that those are the changes you're going after. And it's based on, you know, how this really sensitive uh, uh, set of structures, you know, perceive what's going on. And, it, and it's very subtle and you want to capture the attention of the nervous system and let it know that things are good. <laughs> yeah, I love the you, good news. <laughs> do you incorporate the, the big buzz thing right now? And much of the somatic world is like polyvagal theory as well. Are you, are you using that framework with what you're what you're doing or how you're referencing or or is that not really in your, your scope? That's a great question. I don't I mean, I'm aware of that theory. Um, I, I think it, it kind of fits in with the with kind of my it fits very well with this kind of broader perspective I have, which is, you know, that the whole body, the whole nervous system is monitoring the, the condition, the safety of the body at all times and kind of setting an overall level of protection, a level of threat. And, and uh, you want to kind of get out of kind of a fight flight orientation and into a rest and digest probably. And I know that, you know, that the information that's passing up and down the, the, the vagal nerve has something to do with that. So I don't think in terms of like what nerves involve that much, but just the overall idea that almost everything that feels bad in our body will feel worse if you're in a very protective state, you know, you know, being in a protective, when you, when you're, when your whole nervous system, including the vagus nerve is perceiving threat, it's kind of adjust, adjusting all of your organization towards defense. So you get tighter, you feel more pain. You're a little bit more scared of stuff. You're more anxious. You're more withdrawn from the world. You're less open and everything, uh, uh, about us that feels good correlates with the perception that things are okay. It's time to invest in the future. We can open up, we can let defenses down. And that's the direction we kind of usually want to go. And, you know, the, the, the what's going on at the vagus nerve helps pr provide a very good explanation for that. But I personally don't know a ton about it and don't focus that much on it. Yeah. There's different, different approaches. So I really, I like your answer. I think it's, um, I asked more because the last few years I've been going down that road and looking at it, but a lot of what you said, as, as you just said, again, was in line with, with that. And it's, um, 
it's uh, I actually I just found out that Stephen Porges was uh, a senior, like a research. He was the head of research for the Ralph Institute in the early '90s, which I had no idea about until. No, uh, I didn't. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because he was friends with Peter Levine, who was somebody experiencing. Uh, or I think he was actually his advisor at school. I, I forgot exactly. It's really interesting this how this, you know, and and because we're all Rolfers, uh, you know, I, I I have a sense of pride when I find that somebody is connected with our our alma mater somehow. I say kudos for us. But um, but yeah, more a lot of a lot of what you said highlights within that, uh, and it's it's an interesting model. And it is something because you're interested in the science. It's not necessarily just about the. For me, because my background's in cranial sacral as well, biodynamics, it's all about, for me, it's all about what is the safety of the client and, and and using that model of polyvagal, but not necessarily thinking just in terms of the vagus nerve. But I think about what you do with the movement and how like that is helping people. Sometimes you don't need to get your hands in there to have people feel safe and getting them to move first. And being in a social context with them, which is what part of the polyvagal is, is about in the social context. How are they and them watching you and seeing this is my my person, Todd, who's safe and I'm watching him breathe and him be in. And they're taking that in via, via various ways is uh, yeah, one pretty wonderful stuff. Yeah, many different ways to to make someone feel safe and protected and capable and resilient. It could be from talking to them. It could be from touching them. It could be from them moving in in a certain way. I mean, the Feldenkrais, this is an idea that I like about Feldenkrais. Feldenkrais, uh, Moshe Feldenkrais, I also studied the Feldenkrais method. He he kind of developed his ideas in the, uh, you know, in the mid-century at the time when Freud was very popular. And the idea was, uh, uh, you know, Freud wants to help people develop, help them mature, help them get over anxieties, get past roadblocks. And so it's this personal development idea. And he does it through talking to people. And Feldenkrais is like, well, you know, the way we think is connected to the way we feel. It's connected to the way we move. It's connected to body awareness. That's kind of like your basic somatic principle that was shared with Ida Rolf and lots of movement traditions like dance and martial arts and yoga, you know, the body and the mind's connected. And so Feldenkrais is like, well, if, you know, the move, if movement is connected to, you know, the self-image and all this stuff, I can get into that system of unconscious stuff going on under the hood, which is holding us back and like talk to it through movement. So Freud's going to talk to people, but I'm going to move with people. And Rolf's like, I'm going to touch people, but they're all trying to get at the same thing, which is this idea that there's this unconscious system kind of like completely controlling us in every way. And it, it needs to evolve. It needs to <laughs> mature. And, and there's like lots of different ways to go at it. Yeah, you kind of just have, um, tapped into like kind of like our major senses and how the nervous system is going to perceive that with like, you know, Rolfing being more touch, Feldenkrais and that world movement. And then, you know, Freud, the talk therapy. And, and it's, I think that, just illuminates a really wonderful example of there's lots of ways to just how to bring ease to our body. And sometimes, sometimes it's more of a talk type of therapy where maybe talk isn't available. So you move or if movement isn't available, you touch. Yeah, absolutely. There's kind of like uh 
I think when you there's when you start thinking about the incredible complexity of you know human beings and the way they perceive and the way they feel and move and everything, you can kind of get really blown away and confused by the fact that so many things matter for like something like pain. Pain is multifactorial. Pain <clears throat> pain is complex. Everything matters. Everything might potentially make it worse or make it better. So that could be really confusing and disempowering to the therapist uh, in the sense that, oh my God, what should I do? But on the other um, uh, end of it is that, well, almost anything you do might help and you can kind of start anywhere. So you can kind of like get into that pool at any angle, and just start sw swimming around, you know, like there's so many different things. you So there's so many different ways to help. There's so many different targets to aim at. And I think you know, you can have a kind of a paralysis by analysis when there's too many choices and too much freedom. But on the other hand, it can be a comfort to you because you don't have to pick the one thing. You can kind of start anywhere. Yeah. So I've dabbled a little bit in the pain science and with um, their summit and things like that. And I would like to hear how you would explain to somebody who's in chronic pain, who's always feeling pain in their body, how do you articulate to them the pains in the brain? Yeah, well, uh, right off the bat, uh, even though I think that in many ways that's true, that pain is in the brain in the sense that no pain happens until nervous system signals go to the brain and the brain interprets their meaning and then creates pain with a certain pattern of neural activity. That's all true. And I, as a practitioner, want to understand that. I'm really going to use that phrase with the client because it suggests certain bad things to the client, such as pain is in your head, kind of sounds like pain is in your head, kind of sounds like pain is not real, or you're imagining your pain, or you're creating your pain, or you could just think pain away if you just think the right thoughts. None of those things are true. And they all sound a lot like pain is in the brain. So I wouldn't use that, that phrase with them. What I'm much more likely to say is something to the effect of uh, pain, pain, especially chronic pain, can sometimes be more about the sensitivity uh, of your nervous system to damage in the body more than damage in the body. So something like that. And the easy example that everyone understands is inflammation. Now, when you have inflammation in an area of an injury, that makes things hurt worse than they normally hurt a lot more. People understand that they've experienced that. And then, so I might say, you know, you can, so your pain might be the result of something like inflammation in a peripheral area. It might be like inflammation in the spinal cord or other parts of the nervous system. But basically pain is like an alarm. Uh, the alarm system is set to a certain threshold. And some people, especially after injuries, there can be an increase in the sensitivity. And when the, and then the, when the injury heals, the sensitivity is supposed to go back down to a baseline level. But for some people, it doesn't or it stays elevated. That is a involved in a lot of the reasons that people have ongoing pain for long periods of time, especially when we can't correlate the pain with any obvious problem in the local area where it hurts or when the pain moves around or when the pain comes and goes with no reason or when the pain kind of has a mind of its own. Now, you've told me that each of those things happen. You told me that, you know, your pain comes and goes. It's not obvious. There's not obviously anything wrong in the area. It moves around. To me, that's all indicates that, you know, increased sensitivity may be like a reason that you're having pain. So that's kind of how I'd explain that to, to someone in language they understand 
uh, that isn't threatening, that doesn't kind of blame them for having it. And people can kind of kind of get that. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I feel very similar of how to explain to especially the, the people who are dealing with these chronic pain, but clearly, you know, visually from the outside world, they're they're moving fine efficiently. But yeah, like to just blatantly say, oh don't, it's in your head, think it away. <laughs> Yeah, but I find it a very, very fascinating uh, conversation. And when when you can, then that's where, like, I guess the talk therapy aspect of this comes into play, that um, how you can help really remap, rewire someone's relationship to to pain and when they can kind of be told that it's not that there's nothing wrong with you that there's that even that just simple delivery of a message uh, as simple as that sometimes the pain can be greatly reduced yeah it can be no longer feeling broken yeah it can be pretty empowering so i mean you know let's say you've got an idea that yeah something's broken in your back it's not going to get fixed or Uh, You know, some people can have that idea with like, you know, I'm just getting old. I've got this, I've got the knee of a 70 year old. My doctor said I've got the back of an 80 year old, something like that. Well, those things aren't getting better. You're not getting younger. So it puts you in kind of a a helpless, disempowered position where you don't see the possibility of getting uh, better. And we know this from studying pain science, those things aren't true. You know, that we know that having a knee or a back that looks bad on an MRI is not necessarily that bad because tons of people have knees or backs or shoulders that look bad on MRI, but they don't have pain. That's something I'm likely to tell my clients, you know, uh, and they, that they understand that pretty easily, pretty well. And it can be pretty convincing for them. Uh, you know, did you know that, uh, you know, out of a population of people that don't have any back pain at all, once they're 50 years old, like 50% of them have like a bulging disc. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I thought that a bulging disc means that you're doomed and that you have to get surgery or you just have to deal with it. You know, now now you're kind of in a more optimistic, resilient situation. I can totally relate to that. I had scoliosis. And um, whenever I have imaging done, the doctors are always kind of like, whoa, you are way more twisted in imaging than the way you present. And I have, I've been a student teacher movement for many years, and I contribute my lack of presentation because I still have function. I'm, I haven't collapsed into my my curves, and so uh, yeah. So I that's I totally can relate to that when people, especially doctors, when they get blown away by my Im- by the images. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's a hopeful thing to think that you can function really well and move and feel really good, even though you haven't changed your structure. I mean, we tend to think that structure is destiny and all that, uh, but you know, people. But you know, once you start to get older, the structure is going to you know lock itself in in certain ways, and we can hope to change it a little bit. But uh, it's nice to know that you can you know feel better and move better even though, um, you know, the structure is kind of remaining the same because structure is hard to change. That's another, that's another message that, that, that I I like that kind of influences me. Just the idea that 
it's hard to change structure without a scalpel, without a surgery, or without many, many, many years of, of working on it, you know? But the nervous system can change like that. Yeah. Would you say it's hard to straight change structure? Or it's hard to change patterns. Uh, well, I guess structure is, is a, uh, is a physical pattern that, that can, you know, like a bone structure is it is, is a pattern that's kind of like, uh, you know, pretty hard to change it. They change slowly over the years. Uh, but, yeah. but not quickly. Uh, I, I, and, and, you know, the nervous system is super yeah. responsive and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's pat- so there's I, patterns I'm, I'm in the curious. nervous system that are hard to change too. They are. I mean, it's all, I mean, that's essentially when, when I work with people, for me, one of the things I say is I, I just work with patterns, patterns of thought, patterns of structure, patterns of belief, patterns of, of nervous system. It's all just things in a way. And can they, can they change? And some change easier than, than others. And some want to change and some don't. So what is, what is, I'm, I'm sort of curious with all your background and, and you know, as a role for, as a photographist practitioner, as a, as a uh, the lawyer, I actually say would come into it a, a lot because I think that a lawyer teaches you how to think in certain ways, which is very helpful. And then the podcast, I think, is more for fun. But do you have a regular practice, or people? Are you still seeing people for? And, and what's that like for you? What, what's your sort of typical day like? I haven't seen people uh, that much in the last year. So my practice has been uh, far far less in the last year, partly due to COVID, partly uh, spending more time uh, with, uh, writing, uh, writing books, writing blogs, doing the podcast, and then, and then just other projects on the side. But when I did see people more often, uh, it was a kind of a practice where, you know, probably like a lot of rolfers, I see people with, you know, back pain from sitting in a computer, you know, foot pain from running something like that. Get people that are kind of interested in, uh, alternative health, um, uh, but also are kind of interested in science and evidence because I kind of put that out there and, and you know, kind of uh, brand myself that way. Most of my clients are pretty well resourced. You know, luckily I get people that are definitely into exercise and into helping themselves also because that's kind of like the way I'm, you know, presenting myself. I don't get people that are like, I'm that many people that are like, I'm here to be fixed or something like that. So when back to um what does your practice look like do you do the traditional kind of watch the person in movement see how things are going and then get them on the table do their work and then they get off the table and they're moving differently so uh again i want to just kind of geek out with your with your background when with when there's visual visual changes happening and we're already stating that like structure doesn't change that easily then the whole time we're just speaking to the nervous system and giving good news to the nervous system to be like hey we can try you can move this way better is that purely just by offering good news or there where's the 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 um the honor in the way you're touching, the direction you're going, the vector you're using. Why did you go to that spot? Yeah, yeah I kind of, I, I, I would, uh, you know, when people get off my table and they've got more range of motion, some pain is gone. Um, 
moving differently, something like that. Yeah, I favor kind of like the nervous system-based explanation for what happened. In other words, like uh, if there's less pain, then there was a, a reduction in the, the, the sensitivity to threat from that area. Or maybe there was some descending inhibition of nociception, you know, like feel-good drugs coming down the spinal cord or something like that. Or if there's more range of motion, the nervous system is more willing to tolerate that range of motion, or there's or there's less, uh, you know, muscle tone in that area or something like that. And yeah, all of that stuff has everything to do with what you do with your, with your hands, you know, the direction you're going and that's what sends the news, <laughs> you know, if it's all about good news and that's just a metaphor, then, then it's all, it's all about communication and information and everything you do is always sending information. I mean, you can, and, and that depends on the person it depends on the interaction and all these kinds of uh, subtleties. And it's not something that I myself have ever thought myself of being a great communicator with my hands. I mean, some people are just incredibly credible communicators with their hands and they're kind of listening to the tissues and they're kind of like asking it what to do. And they're intuitively making all these little decisions. And there's like this communication going on there. that's very kind of artistic and intuitive. And, uh, you know, you put your hands on someone and that could be the kind of stimulus that they just completely ignore. You know, just the same way that we ignore, I like the way I ignore this pressure that's coming into my butt from the chair. It's just there. It's not interesting. It's not relevant. But the person that's kind of a genius with their hands has a way of getting heard and, and, and being sensitive and having a conversation. And, and that all depends on, yeah, like you say, where you choose to work and what goes here and what, what angle you go at and all that kind of stuff. Well, Todd, I appreciate you talking about me without even having to call me by name there. That my, my hands really feel honored by that by that. So thank you. <laughs> well, I appreciate this dialogue because I I still am like in awe of the results. Again, I'm not like, you know, but the the, the results that happen with touch and especially like working on the sacral tubus ligament that's like quite tight. But, you know, it just happened to me the other day in a, a session working in, in that area, greater trochanter, feeling the sacrum, and without a this help give a little bit more of a tilt to, to the sacrum. The client felt that her sacrum felt more free. She was reminded of, like, from her dance background, she's like, oh, my God, my, my tail has probably been so tucked in from all the years of dance and being trained to be in an external rotation of the legs. And that brought so much freedom, just that simple stuff. And um, so, yeah, I just, I'm still in my own bewilderment as much as like I've geeked out on the reason why and this and that, but I'm like, wow, that <laughs> did I, I change structure by saying I'm working with a ligament that, probably really wasn't getting that much change from the touch, but it was essentially giving good news to the nervous system in that area. Yeah. I think, I think the people that I've seen, you know, work with their hands that are really kind of good at it and are kind of artists and get good results. A lot of what they're doing kind of reinforces my idea that this is about information and this is about conversation because they're able to really focus their message on this one subtle thing that they're doing. So that's kind of like, it's like, it's like the system can't hear 
what you're saying unless there's a lot of quiet around everywhere else. And they're really good at creating that quiet. And, and in the area where they're sending the message, they're focused on that area and there's not extraneous touching or attention. You know, all of the clients that they can get their clients' attention focused there so they can kind of hear the message that's being sent. And the message is interesting. It's not some boring, undifferentiated input that they, I mean, we're, we're bombarded with sensory information all day long, just, just tons of it. You know, everything we touch, everything, we're touching things all the time. Touch isn't an, isn't an unusual thing for us. So the touch needs to be novel. It needs to be interesting. You need to get people to pay attention to it, you know? And that's, when I see people that are good at body work, like that's what they're good at. Yeah, I, I, a quick question for you, just my own curiosity. Because you're a Feldenkrais practitioner and you're a, a rolfer, among other stuff, when you're working with someone, are you ever combining the two or do you keep them really separate? No, I'm kind of combining the two because because Feldenkrais does... Um, there are some kind of similarity similarities. So Feldenkrais is not just the um, the move. So some of Feldenkrais is what's called awareness through movement lessons. They're like a yoga class. You kind of take people through the movements. But uh, Feldenkrais also developed something he called functional integration. Kind of an interesting contrast with structural integration. But functional integration is when it's a one on one session with the practitioner, and you're and it's kind of like passive mobilization. So 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 the practitioner is kind of moving the client around stuff like this, or kind of moving things like that. You might slide a, a scapula back and forth across the, um, um, you know, the rib cage, you might move it around. You might move circumduct the shoulder, stuff like that. Usually passive and not active, but sometimes active. And that's pretty easy to put those things together. You know, you can be kind of like working with your hand in one place. Well, like, so I might be working with uh, my hand in one area and then maybe kind of like rolling a shoulder forward and back and kind of creating a stretch, which creates the feeling of, so you can kind of feel you know, kind of a pin and stretch type of a thing where, where the movement comes from a passive movement that you're creating. So you can kind of put them together a little bit. So actually when I work, I say that I'm kind of, I do things that are Rolfing-ish and Feldenkrais-ish. It's just kind of like something that's intuitive in particular to me. And I, and I am informed by both traditions and again, it's not like I'm a master at, e at either one, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, it's just kind of like my own thing that I do. No, I think that's great. I mean, it's one of the things I, I, I both love and sometimes struggle with as a rolfer is that we really get this thing and then we make it our own. So we inform it with our other things, which is awesome, you know, uh, and at the same point, like if someone will come and see you and say, oh, yeah, I had a session with Todd. And it was great. And then they, you know, they'll work with me and they're like, that wasn't at all like what I, you know, and it's, and it's great if you're using these whole principles and goals and what you're achieving, it's great. But for some clients, it can be like, wait, what was that? That was com completely different. Um, and yeah. So I tell my clients, go with the practitioner, not the modality, you know, because you, because there's so much variation from practitioner to practitioner within a particular modality. People say, Oh, I got Rolfing before, so I'm coming to you. And I kind of want to send them the signal that, you know, different Rolfers are different. And I, it's possible that I'm going to practice very differently from that other Rolfer. You're not just getting like a standardized product, like a, like a McDonald's hamburger. Like, so if you had a, a, a great experience with them, you might want to go back to them. You, you're going to notice here in a minute that I might work very differently. I might work the same. You might like it better or worse, but just, you should know that. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, I'm my, 
I'm really, my, my Rolfing practice has gone from very physical to much more biodynamic work and using a lot of Genlin focusing work. So it's a lot of felt sense awareness work. And I, and people, it gets great results, but people, like my son, I said, do you have a Rolfer in this area? And I'll recommend them, but I'll be like, but what we did is going to like not be at all like, I like that. And, and just know that, but they're great and just don't have the experience, the expectation of what the experience is going to be because uh, I'm doing something different and, and that's cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how would you define rolfing? Um, I, I'm not sure we'll how I, de- I'm not sure how I define it. I, I often describe <laughs> it to people as being in the nature of a deep tissue massage. Now I know some rolfers don't prefer that as a good uh, definition, but I like, uh, if someone says what's rolfing, like at a cocktail party or something like that, that's what I'll say. And and again, I don't think it's a great definition, but that's just kind of uh, the way I will often talk about it because it gets people oriented in kind of the right direction with uh, a minimum of words. And then um, as far as defining it goes, I don't know. I probably have to work a little bit harder on that, but I guess I'm not, I'm not called upon to do it that often. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll share with you my, my recent definition is Nikki. I don't know if I shared this with you. And uh, I think, let, let me ask you this first of all, because you were a law, you were a lawyer. What was your, what was your undergraduate? Cause I know a lot of undergraduate undergraduates are philosophy that go into law. Was that your bag or not? Yeah, I was actually um, bad in economics. Okay. I worked at a law firm for many years, so I was oh, around yeah. it. But so, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I basically, when people ask me what rolfing is, I just, I say it's, it's working with the nature of reality. I say gravity is this thing that we're, we're working against gravity and, and we're going to help our body work with the nature of reality. Whatever it is that is restricting us from moving through life easier is restricting us from what is around us. And, and this is a little more philosophical uh, and, uh, and it's, it either catches people like your, your deep tissue. It's interesting because it sounds like you don't really do deep tissue, but you get that that's a great way to hook people and then get the conversation. Yeah. I, Mine, you know, I, you, I do do, t- I do do deep tissue. My technique often is kind of deep tissue, but I, I never want it to feel, I always want people to know that what I'm going for with the deep tissue is the feeling of, you know, a good pain, you know, I like, and, and I kind of want people to know what I mean by that, you know, the kind of, you know, like when you're, uh, when you're doing a stretch and you're trying to self, you're trying to find the right level of intensity for that stretch, you're kind of looking for something that's, uh, feels kind of intense, but in kind of a good kind of a way, the kind of thing that feels like it's doing something, but you don't want to cause pain, you know, that pleasant feeling of, and then, you know, that's kind of what you might self-select when you're foam rolling, or it's, that's the kind of thing that people kind of like uh, when you're getting a massage. And well, first of all, I want to know if people actually have that feeling. <laughs> a lot of people don't get that feeling. So I'm like, if you don't have that feeling then we're not doing anything deep at all, but I just want the kind of feeling that something's happening, something feels good. Yeah. I, I started to, when people say, oh, that's a good pain. I say, well, is it pain or is it a discomfort and they say oh yeah it's discomfort and trying to educate them that it's not pain because pain would have them restrict yeah, i tell them that too i don't want it's counterproductive to have too much you don't want to be tightening up and defending yourself it's the kind of thing that you can feel like you can open yourself up to yeah i do like your your sort of my elevator pitch is either 
when I start to say it's, you know, working with the nature of reality, I either, I either get people or they're like, I, this guy's crazy. And then, and it goes away. Um, so <laughs> it goes, it can go either, either way, either way. Um, well, that's a good way of driving away with the people that aren't, that aren't going to be down with your thing anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, I think everyone, I think, I think reality is all around us, but, but yeah, not, not everyone. There's a, it's a friend of mine today just actually said he's, he's a, he's a deep tissue body worker. And he's like, I don't get the crazies, man. I'm, I'm a, He's like, I have a big debt too, and I'm bald. He's like, all the crazy people, they don't come to me. I just get the people who like are are ready for it or something. And I was like, maybe I don't, I don't know. One of the things that we're really good at is because Nikki's she gets a lot of newer offers, and so they also then you know they come for her for movement stuff, and then they find out about our podcast, and it's such a great resource for information for that. And I think this in particular is a good talk. I just appreciate uh, your your insight and just continuing the the conversation of what we're doing because I I know like Andrew said being in Boulder and having students often come especially for me for Rolf Movement it's always an interesting contrast because in the basic training uh, it's so structure oriented and so much about like being in the tissue and there's a lot of emphasis on that so and Rolf movement doesn't really get much I mean it gets some attention but it's it's very much the the teaching I think still right now is very much in the experiential learning and not necessarily what's happening and how do you create change through movement and so uh, Rolf Moomin is a big, uh, well, kind of like um, playing off the title, like move better. And that there's a very much self-empowering that you can create your own structural changes and kind of resolve a lot of your own pain by just playing in a somatic world of feeling ways of, of moving and that you can reduce a lot of your kind of chief complaints, let's say. And so, yeah, when students come and have a Rolf movement session with me, they kind of get blown away of how much they get change in their own body with just exploring movement. And they, it's it's fun for me because they get to have this like light bulb moment of, oh, wow, I don't have to work so hard on the, on the table because, you know, they're they're receiving work, they're giving work, and they're kind of coming out like burnt out of it. And just kind of giving some education of like, have your clients move, empower them and help them be authorities of their own body. Because that's what you want. Because, you know, I, I kind of call it, you know, sometimes I can create a one hit wonder. And voila, pain's gone. And great. <laughs> you don't need to come see me for a while. But it is like, and it's a cumulative process for the most part, because it's it's going to take time to re-educate your body. And I also want to use that opportunity to give a movement homework and to start taking a little bit more ownership of what they can do to help resolve their own pain or their own like performance, whether they're coming for pain or just wanting to have better performance in whatever activity they're doing. So I think I appreciate this conversation because I help it. I think it just kind of helps um, bring our work a little bit more in the present day research and not so much of 
the past that were yeah, yeah. that were really changing tissue by I like taking away from that that kind of um, power paradigm that it's really I'm I'm still loving I'm loving the the good news the good news messenger. I like what you say about the light bulb going off. That's kind of uh, you know people you know, people do some really subtle thing like get cranial sacral or, or get, uh, do a subtle movement practice or, or something like that. And then they, and then they feel they're very, very surprised by how they feel now. Oh my God, I did. I had kind of forgotten that that muscle could relax or wow. It's, it's amazing to, to feel this different way. And then like that light bulb coming on, it's kind of like a sign that there's some potential there that's maybe untapped and that you can get it even without like having a completely different structure of the body, maybe just through doing subtle practices like that kind of light bulb moment is I'm sure that's kind of why I end up doing what I'm doing. And you guys did too, is, you know, you took a yoga, I did, did a Feldenkrais lesson or a yoga class. And I just, wow, I feel really, really, really different. It was, these were very subtle, small inputs, but they made a big difference. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, that's exactly why where, how I started. I worked for, uh, for a law firm doing uh, engineer net, network engineering and I was doing yoga and I was like, I feel better. I want to know why I feel better because my engineering mind said I need to understand this. That light bulb moment is sort of great. And now look at the three of us. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time with us. And if there's any closing remarks and I'm, uh, I enjoyed meeting you and learning from you. And I'm definitely intrigued with your, with your blog and your subscription I guess it's a subscription pot or um, blog, which I'm, I'm new to that. <laughs> I didn't know I had to pay. <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, you, you, you can. Um, uh, so I've got a blog. I moved the blog over to toddhargrove.substack.com and there's free posts. And then there's posts that are available only to paid subscribers. So um, uh, thanks for having me guys. I, 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 I like talking with you. Yeah, same. I appreciate it. Like I said before, it's to, it's nice to sort of also one of the reasons I like this podcast, and I'm sure it's probably similar. Why I'm going to guess actually, I should say I'm sure why you started your podcast is uh, you get to meet people who uh, influence you, right? You got all these these pain scientists, and it's really awesome and same. Like I would I, I'd be on a different journey had it not been for your blogs earlier on and your your Feldenkrais exercises. So really thank grateful. You. Thank for you. Thank you. That's very nice. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a, a great day out there, and um, we look forward to being in touch again later. Nice to meet you guys. Get to sleep, Andrew. Have a nice day, Nikki. Thank you. Take care. Bye, guys. Ciao. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Todd at toddhargrove.substack.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching into Presence.